you know you are capable of more because you have a burning desire to get the absolute most out of your career and life, to starve your fears, to follow your dreams, and to realize your true potential. And we are going to do that together. This is the Own Your Career, Own Your Life podcast. Are you ready? Let's go. Well, hey, Ted, welcome to the podcast. Really excited to have you here. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm grateful we got connected through uh, Paul Carroll, who works on your team, and uh, was really excited when I got your book, Develop, uh, because it's, it seems so aligned with some of the stuff that I love to talk about and um, some of the things I put in my book. And I know there's, there's so many other great practical tips in there. And also the fact that you run talent development at such a huge organization, CVS, with over 300,000 team members. Uh, you've got such a great perspective, not only on talent development, but uh, I'm interested to, to you know, talk about how you've gotten through this, this pandemic with so many frontline workers and things like that. Um, before we get into all that, I, I'd love to just start with a little bit of your background. You know, how did you get to where you are today? Uh, thanks. Um, well, I've, I've had a desultory career. I actually started out, believe it or not, as a long-term substitute teacher, taught English and reading. And then from there, um, wanted to move out of my, my mother's basement there to get <laughs> needed something to pay a little bit more money. So then I went into banking and did mergers and acquisitions and media and entertainment. And then from there, I got into healthcare because at that time, healthcare was going through a lot of mergers and acquisitions. I did some strategy work. And then uh, Mark Bertolini, the, the then CEO of Aetna, put me in HR. And that's where I started my talent, de talent development career. Now, you said that uh, Mark put you into HR and talent development. I imagine you had a little bit of choice in that. Was there something that attracted you to that or was it just kind of like, oh, this is the next challenge or opportunity, so I'm gonna go chase it? It was really a challenge and an opportunity. At the time, uh, we wanted to start a corporate university. So that's how we do that. And I, whenever I, I coach or counsel a lot of executives, a lot of people don't realize that, but they're, they're like corporate athletes and we do move them around. Mm. So I had done some strategy work for HR, but yes, that was just, I was moved uh, as a way to develop me personally and, and get experiences across the organization. So that's how I got into HR and it's, yeah. it's been great. As you got into HR and talent development, mm -hmm. uh, you know, HR has a bit of a reputation sometimes in different organizations, good or bad. Uh, was there anything that really surprised you that you didn't really expect as you got into HR from moving from the business? Sure. I think what I learned is HR does so many different things. And outside of the sort of chief financial officer, the chief people officer, the CHRO is sort of hand in glove with the CEO. So I realized how important it is. You know, you got to get your finances right, your strategy right, and then you need the people to execute on it. So I think I was pleasantly surprised how important it was and how integrated it was into the success of an organization. Yeah, we forget that uh, you know the best laid plans and strategies uh, fail if you don't have the right people strategy in place. It's people that execute on that strategy. So that that role is so important. Yes, it's it is. So in that way, it's fun, and you know people are interesting, as you well know. So you're you're ne you're never bored. Never bored, exactly. Well, speaking of that, you spent a, a lot of your career in healthcare, 
And, uh, you know, healthcare has gone through many changes over the years. There's always exciting things going on. Uh, but the last year, which has been challenging, no matter what industry you're in, has probably been an, an added challenge in healthcare being at the front lines of everything going on with uh, COVID and the pandemic. What has it been like to be in the healthcare industry through a global pandemic, the likes of nothing we've ever seen before? Well, what I have seen and what I've found, Annie, is it just connects you to the purpose. And you talk a lot about that in, in your book, uh, which I finished and loved. Um, and that is, we were able to attract great people as well as invigorate and energize our colleagues because they realized, you know what, we really are helping to get rid of a pandemic first through testing and then now through vaccination. So there's that. And people come to work every day saying, you know, if I do a good job, I am contributing to helping people hug their, their kids and family members again and help the economy get back on its feet. So it, it's been fantastic. Well, what's been kind of your general approach or philosophy to enabling and even developing your people when they're out there on the front lines, especially through challenging times like this? Well, I think what it is, and this is a trend we see across when I speak with uh, my peers across industries, where just the pace of business is so quick that what you have to do is have just-in-time training and development to people uh, where they are, you know, in the modality that they mm -hmm. want. And that's what's important. So it's really caused all of us to reassess. You know, when I started, I'd have week long, two week long sessions, and then that became five days and then three days and then, you know, you know two days. And so that's what I've learned though, is we're getting better at understanding when people need information and giving it to them just in time. Yeah, so important. And a lot has changed in every company, every industry, especially with people working remotely and virtually. Uh, we, we, Everyone in talent development has realized that you can't take a five-day workshop and just put it on Zoom, right? And expect people are going to be sitting there paying attention when it, it actually gets really boring after about an hour or two. And so we got to change things up. But that's really, we're talking more about you know corporate workers. And then when you think about frontline retail employees who are out there in stores, uh, it was already a challenge before. I wonder if you could share any insights on how you help them uh, continue to learn and train and develop when they're you know, hourly on the clock, on the front lines, that kind of thing. Well, I think there's a couple of things. One is what I always say is there, there's the personal side and the business side. Certainly when we were going through these extraordinary times, you have to also think about the, the people, right? And what will make them bring their best selves to work each day. So that's, you know, in this case, having the, the proper equipment and safety precautions. The other thing you do whenever there's a large demand, which there was on testing and then continuing through vaccinations, again, just in time. So, you know, we, we would hire an extra 50,000 people to help deal with this um, demand. And so what you have to do is have quick training and development, very focused so people are productive very quickly. And then over time, keep giving them more skills and more skills as needed. 
So how do you do that? Do you rely on technology? Is it, uh, do you push things out through smartphones or like how do you know, I don't have to get into all the details, but how do yeah, you? Yeah, but a lot of it is, uh, you know, is a lot of it is either at a, at a training store or you do it, you do it right on site. So mm. that is the, that's the fastest way to do it. But we use all sorts of modalities. We use, certainly use technology, but we certainly use people that go out into the stores and that's how you help folks. Uh, yeah, it's it's amazing, you know, how you've adapted that and hiring that many people and you're adapting to the pandemic. Uh, another big uh, challenge that we've all been through over the last year is the rise of the social justice movement, you know, after the death of George Floyd in May 2020. And, and I'm talking and seeing so many organizations making big changes and a bigger emphasis on DEI. I feel like that's even more important when you have frontline workers who are not only working with each other, but dealing with customers who need to be treated with equity and fairness. Um, have, have you made any big changes there? I'm just curious what the, the approach has been uh, to DEI over the last year. Well, the approach has been, uh, we took a very thoughtful approach and we had David Casey, our vice president in charge of that area, you know, went on a listening tour, worked a lot with our executives and the organization has committed over $600 million over a number of years. Uh, and it includes investment in communities, investment in underserved areas. Uh, it certainly uh, includes training um, on what we call um, unconscious bias, which people are aware of, going from unconscious bias to conscious inclusion, how to help support colleagues at all stages of their life, uh, so those are some of the things. We have a very large supplier diversity uh, effort. So there are a number of things. You know, this is something that has been on the minds of a lot of organizations for a number of years, obviously, uh, with uh, the recent incidents and certainly with uh, George Floyd, that brought it to the forefront. Yeah, it's been accelerated. Um, yeah, it's been accelerated. But that is a theme meaning the, the recent events of social unrest, the pandemic, it didn't change our strategies, mm. but it accelerated a lot of our initiatives in order to achieve our, our strategy, mission, and vision. Yeah, I like it. Okay, I see what you mean. Um, all right, so I want to shift a little bit from talent development to talking a little bit more about career development. So amidst all of this work that you're doing, you also published a book here called Develop Seven Practical Tools to Take Charge of Your Career. Uh, why did you write this book and, and why now? I, I wrote the book because for, for a few reasons. One is I jokingly tell people, people kept asking me, when are you going to write a book? Huh. And when I asked them, you know, why, they said that in their sessions with me, I gave them practical tips and a sort of step-by-step -step instructions, which made them feel more confident. So that's one thing. Second, I feel like in my position where I am every day hiring people, I'm in an organization that's hiring people, training people, developing, promoting people, I'm giving people an inside view also versus someone else that may have come from an academic setting or a consultant or an organizational psych background. So I'm saying, this is what I'm seeing on the ground. Right. And so that was uh, also a reason. And then 
every day, you know, I'm dealing with executives all the way down to frontline workers. Mm. And so because of that, I also have that perspective and get to see people move up over the years. So, yeah, such, such a wealth and breadth of experience um, being yeah. in there with all the people doing it and then having those conversations. And it reminds me, uh, you know, you and I have both published books. A lot of times people ask, you know, how do I know? When do I know if there's a need for me to write a book? And the answer is when people keep asking you when you're going to write a book or people keep asking you the same questions you keep answering. I had a conversation with a friend yesterday who's a former CHRO and a consultant. And she said, I'm getting tired of answering the same questions from people in our HR community. And I said, that's when you know it's time for you to write a book. Because <laughs> then you can that just say, a, that's here's my book. Yeah. That is a, that's a great way because that's actually how I, I started long before I thought about writing a book. I have this file of, of that I just call my development file. It's got like a yeah. hundred pages in it and they're just tools because what I noticed was people were asking the same questions mm -hmm. and I, I go to the whiteboard and I write out the same things. I was like, I'm tired of doing this. So I started typing it up and then just handing it to people saying, okay, this is the tool you need for there that. It is the tool you need for that. Yeah, I love it. And then it turns into this, this beautiful book here. Um, so you got this book, you're asking, you're talking to all these people, you've seen um, what works and what doesn't. Why does it seem like some people climb the ladder so effortlessly, right? And just have it all figured out and other people struggle so much and feel so stuck in their careers? Yeah, and I think people get stuck on certain things. So basically what I say is even though there's seven tools, there's three main sort of challenges that I find. One is people have difficulty exploring the possibilities, right? They get frustrated because they're not sure. You talk about that too. How do I know what I want to do? And so I stop asking people, what do you want to do? Because I just saw the fear in their face. So that's one thing. Yeah. So instead I ask people, what are you willing to explore? Mm. And we talk about how you can explore the possibilities and get them excited about new things. So that's one thing. The second is communicating value. Some people do a much better job of communicating the value they offer an organization, whereas other people get stuck or are very stiff when they do it. And so that second set of tools is how can you communicate your unique value, which everyone has, to employers so that they get excited about you as a person. And then finally, what you talk about and you're a master of is activating your network, right? Is people don't understand how to network properly. They're, they do it reluctantly and I want them to engage their network. And if they do those three things, they explore the possibilities, communicate their value and activate their network, they're gonna be able to climb. Yeah. And so you're seeing those three things being the big difference makers between those that are kind of excelling in their careers and others that are feeling stuck and frustrated because they're not really doing that stuff. Absolutely. That's the challenge I see over and over again. And often yeah. they'll present differently each individual, but mm. the patterns I see fall into one of those three categories. Yeah. I love what you said about what are you willing to explore and it reminds me, I feel like there's a little bit of a shift or a movement here from that, that mantra we always hear of like, follow your passion. And then so many people are like, well, I don't know what my passion is, right? And so now I'm hearing more often, follow your curiosity, which is, seems so much more practical. 
you know, I don't know what my passion is, but I am curious about, you know, HR or marketing or whatever. And like, maybe I can go give that a shot and see if I do love it. And I find some passion there, but it starts with curiosity. Yeah, because really what you want to do is, you, you, you know, that false narrative is, I know exactly what I'm passionate right. about. And as you know, some people are, yep. but usually those are the athletes and the artists and musicians, right. things like that. But for the majority of us, we stumble into something or we're, like you said, curious about something. We learn a little more and then we're willing to invest a little more and invest a little more. Yep. And that's, I tell people that's perfectly normal and that's the way to do it. Yeah. And, and we have usually more time than we think to explore different career options, right? I mean, I'm sure you deal with people all the time too, who are like stressed and feeling the pressure that like the next job has to be the perfect next step or right job when you know, if you're 30 years old or 40 years old or whatever, even 50, like you still have plenty of time to do a lot of different things and to find your lane and be successful, right? Have you, have you helped people with that? Yeah, I have. And I'll give you a couple of examples. One is the, the, the younger or early in career folks. I can't tell you the number of people we'll, we'll have. They'll, they're new to the organization and they're in a leadership development program. Hmm. And, you know, it's a three-year program for us. And then after year one, they're like, you know, what, what is it? What's my next step? I'm, I'm worried about the next step. Yeah. And I have to remind them. I said, what are you in? You're in a leadership development. Development. Yeah. development. I don't expect you to have all the answers. You're here to try things out. And so I do, I do that. On people who are more mid-career, what I tell them is don't get nervous. Read a job description. If you read a job description for an executive, what does it say? It says maybe you have 10 to 12 to 15 years of experience in a given area. And that's what's allowed you to become a subject matter expert. So you have time. So if you're 30 years old, you still have time for 15 years. If you're 40 years old, you still have time for 15 years yeah. of experience in a new thing. And so, yes, I, often it's giving people license to change, move, and explore. Yeah. Um, for people that want to take more ownership of their careers, or you uh, put it in your book, take charge of your career, what's the, what's the first step? What's the next step they need to take to take more, more ownership? Well, what I tell people, like I said, is identify some jobs and roles. And in order to do that, what are you willing to explore is what I say. Mm -hmm. And I say, focus on the industry, company, and role. Put those three things together. So, it's, so the way I phrase it is, I'm interested in working. I'm interested in this role in this industry for a company like X. And so just by putting those three things together, that starts the process of taking control. Because then through networking, with that simple statement, hey, I know someone who has that role in HR, let me go talk to them. Or I know someone that works in that industry, let me go learn about that industry. Or I know someone that works at that company, let me get more information on that company. And what I find is people have a hard time thinking through it but once they have enough networking conversations, I've never had someone say, I'm still so conflicted. Once they have conversations, they're like, oh, it's easy. I want this. Yeah. So that's me. to me. Yeah. 
Go ahead. You should have met, should have met me in my 20s. I was, yeah. I, was I would have been a challenge for you. <laughs> I had no idea what I wanted to do. Hey, I would have been a challenge for my 20-year-old self too. <laughs> but hey, that's that's the beauty of, of wisdom and age. But that really is the first step. And then after that, what I find is that next step really is communicating your value. And the goal is transferable skills. Mm. Don't speak the jargon of your industry or your company. You then have to deconstruct that and find out what are the main skills that allowed you to be successful. And that's what you communicate. Yeah, those transferable skills, uh, we don't think about that. I mean, it's important to become an expert in an area and, and a lot of companies really value that. Um, but what do you have that is transferable? And that's why it's important. The technical skills are great. It's also important to develop what many call those soft skills. Josh Burson now calls the power skills, right? Yeah. That are going to help us move up. Um, do you ever talk to people about that who may be getting lost and like, oh, I've got to keep educating myself on the technical technical skills. But hey, if you want to be a great manager, you've got to develop empathy, right? You've got to get better at communication and coaching and feedback and all that stuff. Yeah, when I talk to people, uh, in particular people that want to be in higher in higher levels or, or senior levels of an organization, and I'll say, you know, what's going to trip you up are not technical skills. Mm. What's going to trip you up are those leadership skills, those art skills. I like the power skills. Uh, what's going to trip you up is you don't build good teams. What's going to trip you up is you're not good for strategy. What's going to trip you up is that you don't work well across boundaries or show your executive presence. And th those aren't technical skills. They are skills that can be learned, but that's what's important. Uh, and so it's, I try to get people to focus on those things because those aren't as intuitive as to how you develop those skills. And we talk about ways to do that. Yeah. Are there any other things we talked about um, exploring, following your curiosity, activating your network, communicating value? Are there any other, any other things that you recommend individuals do on a regular basis to, um, to grow their careers and, and find more success? Sure. Yeah, there, there are a number of things. Uh, one is, and this is another tool that I talk about, is understanding your leadership style, right? And so what I say is, Congratulations, everyone's a leader. So we don't have to worry about that. But what you do have to do is be able to communicate to others, how do you lead? How do you move an organization forward? So I actually give an assessment to people and I say, there's four basic ways, which is you can be a vision-centered leader and you can, you know, you, you're very good at looking out into the future and predicting the future. There are customer-centered leaders that are very good at translating customer needs into products and services. They're organization-centered leaders. Those are the folks that love the process and they create repeatable products and services and processes. And there's people-centered leaders. And those are people that get the most out of folks. And so you have to be able to communicate which of those types of leader you are and then build your team, your inner circle so you can cover all the other bases. And so leadership is very important. And one more thing that I tell people uh, similar to what you call your brand is what's your image, right? Because that's what speaks for you when you're not in the room. So what's that image? What's that brand? 
What yeah. are those words? What are people saying about you? Because that's what's going to be required in order to move up an organization. Yeah, that brand or image or reputation, it exists, you know, whether you do anything about it or not. And you talked earlier about the importance of communicating value. Um, you know, you're in this senior position, you probably see this on a regular basis. I try to tell people this all the time that, you know, it, it may seem nice if you think that your experience and skills are going to stand on their own. But the fact of the matter is network, brand, uh, image, reputation, all of these things factor into whether people get promoted or move up or get jobs and all that stuff, right? Yeah. And the way I, you know, in my uh, seminars and, and when I'm working with folks, I say, here's the, here's the easiest way you can figure it out. I said, when you get a raise, when they decide what your raise is, when they decide what your bonus is, when they decide what your equity is, when they decide whether you get promoted or not, guess what? You're not in the room in mm. any of those discussions. And so if you don't cultivate your brand, cultivate your image and do a good job communicating with other people, there's no one speaking for you. Mm. And then that usually, that usually shocks people awake. That's powerful. That is powerful. How well have you communicated that? All right, Ted, we've talked a lot about how individuals can take ownership and develop their careers, take charge, and all the things they can do. Uh, what's the responsibility of an organization in helping your people or helping their people develop? I think an organization has a, a, a lot of responsibility. I think it is common. You'll hear, you, you know, we, I, as a practitioner, a lot of times we'll say, you know, take charge of your career, you mm -hmm. own it and all that. And that is true. But in great organizations, uh, what they also do is they assess talent and then they, they, they open up, it's like the aperture on a camera, right? They open up the possibilities for people. So great organizations say, hey, Andy, have you ever considered this because of your skills? Have you ever considered this? How about if we move you over here into this job and then you'll have a fuller understanding of how this organization works. So I think the organization is responsible for that. They're obviously responsible for giving good, timely and consistent feedback and not just one type of feedback. When people think of feedback, they're like, oh no, that's not gonna be a good conversation. But the idea is, you know, appreciation is needed, evaluation as well as, as coaching. And so it's up to the organization to also provide those opportunities and that feedback. I love that. Feedback, coaching, all that stuff being so important. And you want to work for an organization that they're providing those opportunities, which is how you got into HR and talent development, right? Your, your right. manager bringing that opportunity to you and then it turning out to be great for you and your career. So it's kind of a two-way street. We've got to take ownership and go do the things that are going to set us up for success, but we want to work for an organization that is going to be looking out for us, understanding our strengths, coaching us, giving us feedback and providing opportunities. Yeah. It's a good two-way conversation. If you do that, that's where it helps because you're, you're trying to meet your, your passions, your desires, your ability and skills with the organizational goals. And that's only going to work if you have a good two-way dialogue. Otherwise, you're like, I don't know what you're interested in. And that's, that's our job as leaders to figure out what our people are interested in and why, and to share with them the possibilities that we see in them. Absolutely. All right. I'm going to hit you with some rapid fire questions. I like to ask a lot of my guests. So um, oh, Ted, 
Ted, what has been uh, your greatest accomplishment or proudest moment in your career so far? Uh, I would say it has been the creation of the corporate university. I, I talked about how I, I was moved um, from, from enterprise strategy into HR and then was asked to start a corporate university. So we stood that up in 90 days. And then after that, within three years, it was an award-winning uh, corporate university. So I, I'd say that that was that was a great accomplishment. I'm very wow. proud of the team for that. Yeah, that's impressive. Uh, flip side of that, Ted, what's been one of your biggest failures or mistakes in your career, and what did you learn from it? Uh, sometimes I can be thick-headed. Uh, the mistake <laughs> that I tend to make over and over again is I fall in love with ideas, mm. and. Uh, over the years, what I've learned is just having a good idea isn't enough. So whether it was a banker or whether I was in strategy or whether my own business, uh, I've learned that if you fall in love with an idea and then don't put that plan and don't make sure that you have the right people, it, it's not going to work. Yeah. Um, do you have a specific example where you, you fell in love with an idea and, and didn't have a great plan in place or you took it too far and they didn't really bring the team with you or whatever it may be? Oh, sure. I've had, I, I've had a number of those. Okay. So one is a banker. As a banker, I had this great idea, you know, uh, radio stations on certain frequencies. And I found ways that if, if you could acquire some radio stations that were all on very close frequencies, you could create this power station. Mm. So this is what I wanted to do. And I worked and I, you know, I gave uh, money to this guy that I thought would do it. He didn't have the right team to do it. And, it, you know, the, the, the loan, um, you know, the loan crashed and it had to go into what we call wor uh, workout. Um, oh. You know, from a more uh, recent talent thing, I've always wanted to start sort of this, uh, like a a, a structured way of uh, just like they have musicians or opera or whatever, where you have minor leagues, major leagues, whatever. So I wanted to start, so this is like the minor leagues of, uh, of, um, of leadership. And then I'll move people up and I'll move up from double A AA to triple A up. Yeah. The people didn't get that. They thought it was too complicated. And so I haven't been able to implement that, but yeah. That's One of those that sounds right. really great in your head. And then other people right. are like, I don't understand that. What's, what's this guy talking about? He wants five levels of leadership and he wants to move people around. Um, yeah. Oh my I gosh. still think it's a great idea. It's a great yeah, idea. Let me know when you implement it and you start like trading draft picks between managers and uh, to use sports metaphors. That's pretty funny. I thought after Moneyball, the movie, I thought everyone would get this concept. Yeah. Yes, that's what we're doing. You're going to be looking at all these statistics of people and like trading exactly. them based on that. Like, what is going on? Um, right. I think it's cool, Ted. Well, um, is there a trend that you're following in talent development you think is especially interesting or exciting right now? Well, I think the trend is the, out, you know, the outgrowth of the pandemic, which is how can you have multiple ways of, of reaching people, right? You know, we have to have a hybrid learning models. So it isn't just in-person, it isn't just totally virtual. So we need experiential learning at all levels, multiple modalities. Got it. And um, other than your book and my book, uh, is there a book that you often recommend or uh, I've read lately that had an impact on you, uh, especially in the realm of talent development, leadership development, things like that. 
leadership book, if people always tell me, you know, I can only read one book on leadership, I always do John Maxwell, 21 Irrefutable uh, Laws of Leadership. And then for me personally, it's the four agreements, Don Miguel Ruiz. I, I think that meshes the two. I, I love the four agreements, uh, you know, be impeccable with your word. Don't take anything personally. Don't make assumptions and always do your best. I feel if you do that, you're, you'll be golden. So good. I like it. Uh, last question for you, Ted, um, for those out there looking for more ways to accelerate their career success, what's one more piece of advice you would give? I would really go back to the activating your network. You know, when I was challenged with starting a corporate university and didn't have that experience, I immediately networked with people, talked with people all over the world. And I, they, I didn't make the mistakes they made because they warned me. So, so that's the best way to do it. You don't have to learn everything the hard way. Yeah. You don't have to go through it all yourself. If you talk to other people, whether it's reading their books, listening to their podcasts, having conversations with them, join communities. You can learn from other people what's worked and what hasn't worked. And then you can start from a later point instead of like making all the same mistakes. I love it. Awesome. Well, Ted, uh, the book is Develop Seven Practical Tools to Take Charge of Your Career. Uh, so excited about this and everything you shared today, Ted. For anybody listening who wants to get in touch with you uh, or uh, get the book or, or learn more about what you're doing, where's the best place for them to go? They can just go to my website, www.tedfleming.com. One M on Fleming. One M. Easy enough. We'll put a link to that in our show notes. Uh, Ted, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of your wisdom and experience. It has been fantastic. Wish you the best of luck and look forward to talking again soon. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. All right. Take care.